is that Jesus spoke about these things. It's not worth fighting over because we can all have an opinion, but we all have, just understand this perspective, we all have, including me, limited perspective. The main issue that Jesus wants us to know is to be ready for that day. That's right. So we might think, hey, this is going to happen first and then we're going to see this happen and that happen. But the, the reality is we can have equal arguments every, every which way and fight about it until Jesus comes back and realise we were all wrong. <laughs> so we don't want to waste our energy on that, but we want to take our energy and funnel that into reaching a world that needs to know Jesus Christ because he is coming back. Yeah. For his church. <clears throat> so just this week, uh, I read an article that in Australia, one bank has already announced that by November 2024, they're going to go completely cashless. So that sort of brought forward my urgency to bring um, the message about end times because we know uh, when we look, we will look at the mark of the beast and some of these other things. Um, <clears throat> and so we've always had those pre-warnings from the Bible that there will come a time where they say, no one can buy or sell, um, you yeah, have to have a mark and blah, blah, blah. And we can argue again about the current events that have happened over the last few years about you know, what this might look like. But uh, what we are sure of is that uh, a money system will be introduced globally that will, uh, that will replace currency as we know it. So there won't be any you know, national finances or money of any particular country. It will all be uh, internationalised. And, and I think we'll see between now and the end of the year and into next year, I'm, I'm assuming, I've got no evidence of this, but then we will see other banks begin to jump on that direction and start making announcements that they are going cashless because it's the way to go. It's a modern you know, system of doing transactions. So when we know Bible prophecy and then we start to see these things start to happen, then the, the Bible doesn't say, okay, church, now's the time to panic. It's like, where's the big red button on the wall? Let's all panic. No, it says to rejoice as we see the day approaching. So we shouldn't live in panic or fear or or terror, but we need to realise that that we have to have convictions about who we are in Christ and what we believe and wait for that day with expectations, with expectation. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus himself speaks about the future. And he begins with the temple. Now, I really believe the temple is a metaphor of the church age. And I've, I've probably spoke that to you here. I'm not going to go into all that today. But I really think that when we study the temple of, of Jerusalem and understand some of, the, um, some of the metaphors in that, we see the church, we see the nation of Israel, we see all kinds of things. And we also see the end times where the temple is totally destroyed, which is, an, uh, it's got lots of different applications. It's a, a symbol of the world, it's a symbol of um, the nation of Israel um, and, and how the nation was restored and all those sorts of things. But I believe that its greatest application is in understanding the temple and the days of the temple and the end times church. So it says this, because this is what Jesus had to say about it. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, 
His disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. So Jesus' first point to understanding end times prophecy, he relates it to the temple in Jerusalem as a metaphor. So Jesus used that. Uh, verse, uh, Matthew 24, verse 3, it says, Later, <clears throat> Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? See, the disciples asked a double-sided question there. They knew that when Jesus was to return, that also meant the end of the world. They said, when are you going to return and usher in the end of this age? So uh, they, they knew that much. Um, and they're talking about the end of the age is, is the world that we know, which is controlled by sin, controlled by uh, other things, not uh, pure and holy. You know, God uh, is going to bring in a, a, an age that... He is in control, where sin has no hold anymore. So Jesus gave him seven signs, seven signals to look for before his return and the end of this world. And I believe it will be wise to recognise the signs and be ready. So my message for you today, in all of this end time series, always want to bring it back to two words, be ready. So... We don't have to go, you know, go thinking, oh, what's happening over here? What's happening over there in the world? What does this mean? Has the church got a, 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 an opinion or does the church have a policy? Yes, our policy will be be ready. So if we keep that in, in, as a perspective, we don't have to argue about well, what's going to happen first. Is it going to be this first? Is it going to be that first? Because when we start doing that, we start getting our focus on the real, uh, the real urgency of helping people find their way to salvation in Jesus and we start wasting our energy on other things. So here's what Jesus said that you'll see. Some of the signs. He said false messiahs will come. It says those who claim to be Jesus. And I, I think it's a little bit broader to include the, the myriad of false religions and gods that we understand today. Matthew 24 verse 5 is in there. And I did do some research on that, and in any, like over the last few years, I've looked into this, and in any year, there's, there's thousands of people around the world who say, I am actually Jesus. It's me, and it's her, and it's that guy over there. And, and there's so many people in these days that are claiming to be the Messiah, but we know that they are false messiahs. <clears throat> Number two, it says there's wars and threats of wars. So go back the year 2021, there were no less than 40 armed conflicts around the world and we're seeing greater developing tensions in uh, Eastern Europe. Well, there's a full-on war now in Eastern Europe right now. And, uh, and I think year on year we're seeing an increase of armed conflicts all over the world. Actually, since World War II, there has been... Uh, actually, we think World War II finished but conflict just as great around the world has continued almost somewhere around the world up until today. Yeah. And, and multiple wars and armed conflicts have, have continued since World War II until today. It talks about famines. <clears throat> and uh, 
In any year, anywhere up to 45 million people face severe food insecurity every single year. And that go, those figures go back a lot, you know, 10, 15 years past. So um, before we go blaming God about that, because that's a, 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 a big one for the smoke over philosophers that I used to debate with, is uh, why are so many starving people in the world? Um, the main cause of famine is, not the, it is, is the result of war and political instability. So there's, there's four, up to 45 million people, that, that's just you know, estimates, around the world who face food insecurity or, or starvation because of war and political instability. Now, that's not God's fault, that's our fault. That's man's fault. So we need to understand some of those things and, and be aware so that when we do have those conversations with people, we say, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's some things that are in our power to change and there are things that God does change, yet God gave the earth enough food and resources to feed us all over, you know, many, many more times than what we need, but it's not getting to the place where it needs to because of political instability and war. They're the main two areas of why we see that. So the next thing we see is earthquakes. Now there's been a steady increase of, here's a big word for you, seismic. There's been a steady increase of seismic activity, uh, both in intensity, you know, the strength of, of earthquakes and their frequency year on year around the world. Uh, and, and every year we just see that there's more earthquakes and they're bigger earthquakes. So we see that happening. The, the, another one we see is persecution of the church. Um, Jesus said you'll be arrested and you'll be killed and you'll be hated all over the world. Now here's a report from the BBC from 2019. I think things have got worse, not better since 2019. I quote this what they said. It says, in some regions, the level and nature of persecution against Christians is arguably coming close to meeting the international definition of genocide according to um, the UN. It's like it's incredible. We don't even hear about a lot of this stuff. Yeah. But but there are um, there are more Christians in China than there are people in Australia. Yet they can't have a church, or they have a very controlled you know uh, uh, church that they're allowed to have. But there is a huge number, millions and millions and millions of Christians who are in China who are part of like a, a network of churches that are born again, spirit filled, believers in Jesus Christ. Yet. They're persecuted if they are found, if they own a Bible, they'll get a prison sentence, their, their property can be taken off, all kinds of things. And that, not just in China, but many other countries around the world, um, you, can be, uh, you can get a death sentence for praying, having a Bible, and uh, preaching the gospel. So it's, it's an increasing thing. Australia today, we see more and more... <coughs> restrictions on our faith. So there are certain elements that are in our Bible. If I preach and individuals um, hear that, social media, podcasts, and they can be in another state, if they are offended by that, I can face charges and, you know, probably more than anything, just waste a lot of money in court uh, over that issue. So, but I think it, it, there will come a time in our nation, in our lives, where elements of our faith will not be allowed to be, that won't be tolerated 
handed me by the government. <coughs> so because of that, it says, number six, many people will turn away. It says they'll betray each other. Um, bitter division will rise up in the church. And I believe that there will, there will come a day where because of the persecution and because of the, the challenges that we face, many people will say, hey, you know what, I don't really know if I can keep doing this. And there'll be a turning away. Um, because there's a few things here. It says there'll be false prophets who will deceive uh, for their own motivations, for their own motivational reasons. There'll be false prophets arise who will lead many people away. <coughs> it says sin will be rampant and the, light, the line between right and wrong will be gone. We see that blurred line all the time. Uh, rising its head even within church among Christians. It says sin will be rampant. We just need to recognise sin is, is defined in the Word of God. We're not to condemn one another for our sin, but we're certainly not to say, oh, well, that's okay, God understands. <laughs> we, we need to recognise that our undealt with sin will lead us to a separation from God. And, and every day we can say, Lord, help, help me in this area. Help me to forgive. Help me to be gracious. Help me to um, not charge others. All those things, the, 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 the antidote is bring it to Jesus and don't ignore it. <clears throat> but sin will be rampant, and that's in the world generally. And we see you know, sin increasing in everybody. <coughs> the next thing we see there, it says, love will grow cold. And I believe as confusion and false teaching and as sin gains a stronghold around the world, um, people's love will grow cold. Maybe their, their, their desires will just turn away from the truth of Christ and it seemed easy to, to stay back comfortable. The seventh thing, it says the good news, this is the great part, this is our part. This is the best part. The good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the thing that we need to keep our focus on. Hey, you're going to see all these crazy things rolled out upon the earth. <clears throat> but we need to be think, thinking, hey, Lord, I'm part of the church and I want to be about preaching the good news of the kingdom throughout the earth. Yeah. That doesn't, you know, we might not all be able to go to throughout the earth, but we can all play our part and, and tell the person next door, tell the person down the street, because they're just as lost as someone in Ethiopia or wherever we're thinking of. So, Matthew 24, verse 33. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. Verse 42, so, so you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. <clears throat> when I read that, I just think, hey, Jesus, thanks for the advice. <laughs> thanks for the warning. And for, for us today, just live ready all the time because Jesus is coming back for the church. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, if you've been around like me, we all saw the 1970s Christian horror movies, uh, A Thief in the Night. Who saw that? Who, who's never seen it? We'll have to bring it to you. And it's like scared the wits out of children. It's like, hey, you're having a church movie night, bring your families, and you're like, people getting their heads cut off, and, and 
all this because they, they're not taking the mark of the beast. And you're like, no! And, and a friend of mine, literally, he came home from school one day and, and in the movie there's, there's this pot that it's a really bad cinematography movie, but this pot's on the, on the stove and it's, it's got over hot and then this kid comes home from school and thinks, the rapture's happened, I've been left behind. The pot's on the, on the stove and, and mum's gone. So she starts screaming and then her mum comes in and she says, oh, I thought you were gone, I thought you were gone. Well, you know, the rapture happened and missed it, left behind. And, and we're thinking like, every time you see a lawnmower just on the side, just mowing, there's no one there. It's happened. So it scared the wind out. You know, maybe we need to do some modern versions and scare us even worse. Scare us into the kingdom. It worked for me. But Jesus loved his church. See, from Moses and the prophets, they spoke of the Messiah. These, these you know, uh, Israelites spoke of a Messiah, a Saviour that was coming. Now, Jesus is that Saviour, and he came and dealt with the world's sin once for all time. Romans 3, um, all of Romans 3 tells us about Jesus and, and the sacrifice. But Jesus then returned to the Father, that's his ascension, went to heaven, with the promise to come back to his people, those redeemed by his blood, those who believe in his word. And that's, that's us here today. That's why we gather. That's the central focus of why we gather as a church. It says to don't give up, the, the, in Hebrews, don't give up gathering together. And spur on the day of his return. And, and you know, the, the Bible also talks about um, the Lord's not slow in his promise. But he's waiting for everyone to have the opportunity. And I think God is waiting for every tongue and nation and people group around the world to have heard the gospel so that they don't have, uh, so they all have an opportunity to know the word of God and the truth. And then the end will come. But Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves the world, believe it or not. Jesus doesn't hate sinners. So when we, if we go around with judging eyes and, oh, Jesus hates a sinner, he hates, this, you know, think of these sins that we can roll off our tongue, he hates that, that type of sin more than any. Well, the same sins that we have, he hates them too. But he, he loves the sinners. He didn't wait for every sinner to be right before he died on the cross. That's why he had to come. Because he said, I love them so much, I don't want them to die. I don't want eternity without them. I'll, I'll pay the penalty so that they can be made right with their heavenly Father. So Jesus loves his church and Jesus loves people. He loves the sinner. <clears throat> but we can look forward to that day of Jesus' return. Because we don't want to miss the rapture. Yeah. You don't want to be the kid in the movie going, I thought you'd be But what happens next? So we, we've, we've seen that just briefly touched on the rapture. We could talk about the rapture for, for the next 45 years and not cover it all. But then what happens next is judgment day. Let's take a brief look at judgment. A very uncool thing to talk about in church. Hebrews 9 verse 27. And just as each person is destined to die once, that's a good thing, I only get to die once. <laughs> and after that comes judgment. So die and face judgment. That's a really unpopular concept in an age where everyone wins a prize. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's, I think it's greater and greater, more foreign now to 
young women coming up. It was like, I lost the grand final, but I still got a fight. Yeah. So like, why can't we just learn to be losers every now and then? You know, you, you, you're flunking, you're grave, but we're going to push up anyway. Yes. That, that happens more and more often these days. And, you know, kids go to the sports day, they come home with a big handful of ribbons. I did that, big handful of ribbons, but I tricked the... Because a friend, Jeff, led me straight. He said, he had all these ribbons. I'm like, he lived across the street from me, Jeff. And we were best friends. And we're at sports day. I don't know, he's no athlete. I'm, the, I'm, I'm less athlete than him, but he's, he's too. He went, I didn't know. Good. And he comes, he comes to and sports day, he's got like blue ribbons and red ribbons and whatever other colour ribbons. He's got handfuls of them. I'm like, what's this? And he goes, he, honestly, he says, I went up to the, to the, it was just, you know, primary school. He went up to the table and he said, I went like this and said, I just won the shot. <laughs> and they gave him a ribbon. <laughs> and then he went in and he said, I went over. Oh, it's true. Then he said, I started going, just did the 100 metres. I won. Give him another one. Comes back. Says, I just did the triple jump. I came third. He got a red ribbon. I don't know colour what. Something. Right, really? So I'm like, I go up there. I don't remember what I said, but I got about three ribbons from lying. I should have got number one ribbon, blue ribbon for best liar. Jeff won that for sure. I was small fry compared to him. But, yeah, I got saved. But what happens next is, is judgment day. And we don't face judgment in a day where basically... We want everyone to, to win a prize. We, we're thinking, well, that's so unfair. So that, that's what they do, though. You don't have to go and lie. You just get a, you get a prize if you turn up. Sports day, we don't want anyone to go home feeling left out. So you all just wind up. You don't have to say you've got a sore arm from the shop. We'll just, we'll just give you, that's what I was getting at. We'll just give you a, a ribbon for, for turning up today. <clears throat> but judgment is a serious thing, and it's not a new concept. But it is in the... Uh, misunderstood even among Christians. And we just have to have a balanced approach according to the Word of God. So, it says in the book of Matthew again, in, in that book, Jesus mentions it at least six times, the phrase, Judgment Day. That's just in Matthew. I haven't looked at any of the other books. But that tells me if Jesus spoke about it six times just in one book, then it must be a real concept. There must be something that Jesus wants us to know and understand. So, I just ask the, the, the uh, Kimberley, uh, not the Kimberley, the Boardman family singers to come and join me again, please. Let's give them a hand. They're not trusting me to do They just have to have the same surname. That's like amazing. Are you cousins? Not even that. Wow. It's amazing. They're brother and sister. I love teasing them. So, I found a scripture that mentions both the Lord's return and Judgment Day. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, near where we started today. It says, And they spoke of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. What an amazing scripture. He says, he gets a report about the the Thessalonian church. And he says, I've heard about how you're looking forward to the coming of 
God's Son from heaven, the return of Jesus, the rapture moment. He says, look, I know, I've heard you're looking forward to that. And, he, and, and that He's the one who's rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. So we, we need to realize that there is no terror for those who are washed yeah, and bought by the blood of Jesus. Yeah. So Paul mentions that they are looking forward to the return and that He's rescued us from judgment. And to those who may think, how dare God subject anyone to the indignity of judgment. I want you to stop and think a moment for this on this thought. Jesus sacrificed His righteous blood for our unrighteousness, for our unrighteous sin. Upon the cross, Jesus sacrificed His perfect blood. So if we think if there's any unfair judgment there, I think Jesus is the one who already paid that unjust cost. So we've got to keep that in perspective. Jesus faced that judgment of man who are, he's bearing their shame and they're casting judgment on the Saviour. But anyone who believes in, in him may stand before God on judgment day and be declared not guilty. We've got to get a, a, a perspective of that gravity in our, in our understanding, in our, in our thinking. I can stand before God and hear the words, not guilty. Because Jesus won't look at our shame, he won't look at our nakedness and our lack and our sinfulness and our selfishness, but he'll see the righteousness of that's the fairest deal I've ever heard of. If you want to look at that more closely, the Romans 3, again, I've mentioned Romans 3, is a great one that talks about salvation. In Romans chapter 5, look at that, do some homework, read about that, and get, uh, get an understanding of the transfer that Jesus gives us. So, tonight, I want to invite you to have your peace with God. Believe in Jesus. He gave his life for you and he's returning for you. Uh, sometimes we may feel we're away from God. Jesus says, just come home. It's only one decision away. And you can be whole again. I know I spoke about those ribbons. But we don't want to live with the counterfeit. A ribbon that we that, that didn't belong to us. We don't want a prize that's not ours. But the prize that is ours is what Jesus purchased just for us, just for you, because he sees the value in you. He won the race and said, here's the, here's the river. He, he, he won the fight and said, here's the gold medal. Yeah. I think that's a great, a great transfer. Yeah. Jesus is coming home. Jesus is coming for his people. Just want us to consider these things as we finish. No one needs to be condemned on judgment day. We all can be forgiven and given the gift of eternal life through Jesus. We don't have to live in fear of judgment because we are rescued 
in Jesus' name. And I want us as a church to be mature and be ready. And I hope we can spur on the day of Jesus' return. And I just look forward to you know, continuing on this, this subject. Because I believe that the church needs to hear it. The church needs to know it. And we need to be, be bringing that good news of Jesus to those around us. And perhaps if we could just stand together tonight. I do want to pray for us that we may be lights wherever we go to help teach others and tell others of the great news of Jesus Christ. I want to read where I started again from Thessalonians chapter 4. But before I do, can I just pray for you today that you may, maybe you are feeling like you've got a bit of anxiety when you think of the end time for Something scares me. It's probably more of a spiritual thing than anything else, but you think, oh, I don't know. I don't want to embarrass anyone here today. I don't want to cause any anxiety to, to rise in you. But I want you to leave today set free of anxiety. Set free of that, saying, no, I've, if you've given your life to Christ, then have confidence. Have confidence. Jesus died for me. Jesus won the fight and gave me the medal. When I stand before the Lord, I'm forgiven. I enter into the presence of the King of Kings. So can I just pray for you today, especially if that's you today, and you think, hey, I do feel that anxiety. We're going to pray and ask the Lord to lift that off. And then you can start focusing your attention on other things. Because you are called you have a purpose and Jesus loves you. So right now, Lord, right across this place, I pray 